Hey, Oakleaf Baptist Church, it is great to see you again and be able to spend some time with you in God's Word. Let's go ahead and let's go to the Lord in prayer before we start our study on Esther tonight. Father, be with us tonight as we meet around your Word. Teach us, stir our hearts, stir our minds. Help us to have greater confidence in knowing that you work your will and your way. And the providence of God is not just luck or circumstance. Father, help us to see that yet again in your Word and how you help your people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, as we do every week, let's go ahead and start in the book of Genesis and go through Esther. And uh, we'll find Esther in Scripture. So if you have your written copy or your digital copy of God's Word, let's start in Genesis. You ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then Esther. Wow, we are in chapter 7 already of the book of Esther. And man, this study has, has just been so informative and, and just so much uh, education and learning and guidance to the Holy Spirit to teach our hearts and minds what God has for us in His Word. And I have been so blessed by it, just being able to dive into God's Word and study. And I hope you have received a blessing from it as well. Well, when you look at Esther chapter 7, the last time we met, we left the story off with Esther exposing Haman to be the one who was looking to kill the Jews and to kill Esther right there in front of King Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes at this point, uh, we are going to, to study tonight to find out what his reaction is to this being revealed. So let's go to Esther chapter 7. Let's start in verse 7 with our reading this evening. The Bible says, And the king arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, and he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed wherein Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbana, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who was spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. As we look in the Word of God tonight, we see what the king's reaction is to, to Esther exposing that Mordecai and, and the Jewish people were in danger because of Haman, this wicked enemy of the Jews. As we look in verse 7, let's, let's, let's dig a little deeper here into these verses. Verse 7 says this, And the king, arising from the banquet of wine, in his wrath went into the place, the palace garden, and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Now, as we look at this passage, we see here that the king was so irate that he gets up and he leaves this banquet to get away from, from Haman and what was going on to clear his mind. He was so angry. Now, when you think about this, when you, when you look at what we study here, we see here that the king, you know, it could be the king needed to leave because he was ashamed or vexed that he was part of such a plan and had been taken advantage by someone that he trusted and loved. 
It could be here that, that the king left um, because he, he had to, to just go somewhere where he didn't even have to look in the disgust of Haman. Now, when we look in, the, in this passage of Scripture in verse 7, we see here that, that we have to remember the king has made some hasty decisions with his emotions in the past. So at this point, he takes a cue to stop and leave and go somewhere to cool off before he makes a decision that he regrets. You remember how the story started. The king removed Vashti from being queen on an emotion, on a whim. So he doesn't want to, he's learning his lessons in life. And by the way, believer, when we go through situations in our life and we make poor choices and we suffer the consequences of those choices, we need to be sure to learn from those choices so that in the future we don't make self-destructive decisions that we already know are going to be hurtful to us. The lesson we see here the king learns, I believe, by excusing himself to go cool off in the garden, in that palace garden. So we see here that at that point, Haman then stands up and he makes an effort to go talk to Esther to plead his case and to beg forgiveness, to beg mercy of Esther. In this, in this relationship, you, you must understand that um, the sudden rising of the king leaving this event and Esther and Haman being left, just the point of the king suddenly rising and leaving was enough for the chamberlains and the guards there to know that Haman's in trouble, that there's something deeply wrong here. Haman knows at this point because Esther just exposed him to the king as being the one wanting to kill her and her people. He knows it's all over his face at this point, man. Uh, I have blown it, man. I am in trouble. And he begins, he stands up and begins to make his way towards Esther to plead his case. So as we see this happen, we get the verse 8 of chapter 7 of Esther. The Bible says there, Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the palace uh, into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in my own house, or in this house? And the world, and as his word went forth out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now, the king goes out and cools off in the garden. And as he gets cooled down, he comes back in to render his decision as to how he's going to handle the situation. And lo and behold, here is Haman, not just talking to Esther, but when you look here from the historical context, the idea or the thought here is Haman is, is basically sprawled out across the couch that Esther is, is laying on. Now, understand, in this culture, they don't, they don't sit around a big table like we do to eat up in chairs and everything. They recline, and they're, they're on floor mats and and sofas, or, or what we would think would be like a sofa with no legs on it that's really close to the floor. Esther has, has reclined, and she's there on that sofa, and she's comfortable. And here is Haman. And the picture here, when you study historically, what this text tells us is that he literally has his hands on her knees, which was culturally uh, what would happen for somebody to be begging for mercy. And he is begging her as the king walks in. The king now being cooled off and ready to, 
to engage with what his decision is going to be, walks into a room where a guy is putting hands on his wife and he goes, poof, he just goes ballistic. So we see here in verse 8 that we see that Haman is there begging, which is common in the Persian, Greek, and Roman culture, that someone would embrace the knees of those whom they are uh, petitioning for favorable treatment or for, for help. Now, understand, Haman is hoping that the queen's heart will be more tender than the king. So he's begging for mercy. Now, Artaxerxes expresses disdain for Haman's behavior of touching the queen and accuses him of trying to basically inappropriately touch the queen right in his own, right in the king's own home. Well, at this point, the chamberlains and guards know, oh man, this is, this is a disaster. And they immediately take Haman and they cover his face. Now, it's interesting in, in the culture here, in Persian culture, the reason they cover his face, they, they take him up, they restrain him, they cover his face because they're basically in this process, what this is showing is that he does not deserve to even see the king, that the king should not have to even look at this person and who they are. They cover his face and this is kind of a a red flag to everyone that this guy's going to die real soon here. Like, it's it's on. This is going to happen. He's, he's dead. He ain't going to see the morning. So as we look here and we see what happens here in verse 8, as he stands up, they cover his face, which again is a signification uh, of him and the death sentence that, that they know is already on him. Verse 9 of Esther chapter 7. And Harbana... One of the chamberlains said to the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good of the king, standeth in the house of Haman. And the king said, Hang him thereon. Now, if we go back to Esther 1.10, we see that Harbana is one of the chamberlains in the list of, of servants that, that is there in the, as a king's chamberlain. He's, he is right there. Basically, he works at the chamber, the, the sleeping chamber. He is like one of the closest servants to the king and knows the king. So Harmana, Harbana here, he is close to the king and he tells the king in this verse we see here in verse 9, he says, hey, listen, there's a gallows that, that Haman built to hang Mordecai on. And he was going to hang Mordecai on those gallows this morning. Now you say, well, Bill, how did Harmana, Harbana know that these gallows had been prepared? This is how. Remember they sent a group of servants to get Haman at his house uh, right before this banquet started? It's very possible that Harbana was one of those servants that went to retrieve Haman at his house. Or it is very possible that the servants are talking amongst one another, telling each other that Haman had built this, this uh, gallows for Mordecai and Harbana would have, been, would have been privy to that information. So he brings it up to the king that, hey, by the way, king, and look at, how, look at what he says here in, in verse. He says, who had spoken good for the king. He says, he says hey, king. You remember Mordecai, that guy that spoke good of you that you honored this morning? Well, here, king, 
Haman built a gallows to kill Mordecai on, and he built them last night, and he was going to kill Mordecai this morning, king. That's, hey, that's why Haman came to see you this morning, was because he was going to ask you for permission to kill Mordecai. And the king looks at him and says, hang him on those gallows. Now, again, let's, let's just real quick recap. The gallows are not a noose and, and what we see in the Western days are playing hangman with our friends on paper. Uh, the gallows, as we studied before, was a, a stake, a pole, that was, in, in this case, we see here it was 50 cubits high that they would impale uh, somebody on, which means they would take you and they would put your posterior on the top of this pole that had been sharpened, and they would basically sit you on it, and over time that pole would impale you, and they would call that being hanged. You're just hanging from a pole because it has impaled you. We see here in verse 9 that, uh, that Mordecai, who discovered this conspiracy against the king in Esther chapter 2, was not paid for his, his duty to the king in reporting and, and exposing this scheme to kill the king. So the king that morning had already honored Mordecai, so he was very familiar with who Mordecai was already. And now we see that Harbana brings it to the king's attention. That guy that honored you and saved your life, hey, Haman was going to kill him this morning. Amazing turn of events as we see here in chapter 7 of Esther. So Haman is, is standing there. He, he, he doesn't go before a judge. The king's the judge. Esther's the prosecutor. The king is going to declare a sentence, and what the king declares to be the sentence is going to be the final thing. We see here that as the truth is exposed, it became a clear case that Haman himself, in his own self-condemnation, by his own tongue, by his own actions, is sentenced to death. They didn't need to call anybody to testify against him. The king was the very one who knew that, that Haman had instituted this act to kill all the Jews. And the king felt betrayed. The king saw his wife's life in jeopardy. The king sees innocent people's lives in jeopardy. And the king has had enough. He's, he's fed up with it. I mean, you know how it is. You're driving down the road and the kids are fighting in the back seat. And you're, if I have to pull this car, car over, it's going to get ugly. And then all of a sudden you pull the car over and it gets ugly. The king had pulled the car over and it was ugly. And Haman was going to be put to death. Let's go ahead and let's close up tonight's study with verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Listen. Josephus, a famous historian, says this, I cannot pass over the wonderful harmony of providences of God without a remark upon the almighty power and admirable justice of the wisdom of God, not only in bringing Haman to his deserved punishment, but in trapping him in the snare, the very snare, that he had laid for another person whom was righteous, and turning a malicious invention upon the head of its inventor. Listen. Haman was now going to suffer 
at the hands of his own device. Folks, having sufficient punishment declared and carried out on Haman, the end of verse 10 says that the king's wrath was pacified. So as we look at this study, and that's, that's what we have for tonight in the study, we see here that Mordecai and Esther seem to be in a, a situation that is just impossible. They don't see any way out of it outside of the hand of God, the providence of God intervening. So many times in our life, we make choices and we try to live righteously. And things take place that are out of our control and we're trying to live righteously. And we can't give up on the faith that God is going to come through in such a way that will bring Him glory. Listen, time and time again in Scripture, we see the hand of God providentially provide for His story and His people so that the Messiah could come. Listen, in this day and age, I know in my own life, it gets so easy to be caught up in heartache and hardship. Things don't go my way or, or financially there's a struggle or there's a family struggle or there's a friend struggle or there's a spiritual struggle. Listen. I'm no different than any one of you watching this video. I face struggles just like you face them. Sometimes life is hard. But I'm here to tell you that in those hardships, we must look for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the story of Jesus can be glorified even in our hardship. So listen, if you're going through that hard place in life, there is no greater way to lift your spirit than to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And what an opportunity it would be if that person would commit to pray and ask Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. For Jesus to come into their heart and their life and for them to become a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. What greater joy, what greater glory could God get from our hardship and difficulty, what greater glory could take place than for somebody to come to faith in Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you. Listen, we as followers of Christ have got to look beyond the hardship and look for the eternal significance to why God put us here, not the temporal difficulty. And listen, there is no more eternal significance in the believer's life than the gospel of Jesus Christ and being able to share it with those who need it. Listen, I hope you enjoyed this study tonight, and I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to share your faith even in difficult times. And let's watch the hand of God work in saving souls because that's what He put us here for, to share and declare Jesus Christ to a world that's lost and headed to hell but they need Jesus. Let's take Jesus to them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this word tonight. Thank you for this passage. Father, we know that sure destruction faced Haman in this story. Father, help us that we would see your hand of providence 
that you can work your way. Father, in this story, we see the king's heart being, being guided by you. We see your people trying to live for your glory. And I pray, Father, that each and every one of us believers here in this place today, those watching and those listening, that we would, even in our hardship and difficult times, not lose faith, but that we would look for you to receive glory for what you're doing in our lives. Father, help us to have boldness. Help us to, to have the right words to say that we would, would just be such an example of God's love for people around us that need Jesus Christ, that when we tell them about Jesus and His ability to save them from their sin and from hell and from eternal damnation, that they'll see the love and compassion in our lives. Not that we're condemning them, but that we're trying to give them the greatest message ever to be received. Now, Father, bless us as we go our way this evening. Bless us as we go. Help us to be bold in our witness. Help us to go with peace in our hearts and love in our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for joining us this evening and hope you have a great week.